This is the Sooner Schooner Show on the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network. I'm Eric G. from 97.1, the sports animal in Tulsa. Coming up on this week's episode, we are talking Bedlam. Think about this for a second. This is the last time OU and OSU are going to play in the regular season for at least 10 years. Now, there's a chance they could play in a playoff game or a a bowl game, and I do think that's the next time we will see OU and OSU play each other, so we're going to delve into that. We'll hear from a Lombardi Award winner, Tony Casillas. He's got some thoughts on what Mike Gundy had to say about Bedlam. He'll tell us whether or not he's going to miss Bedlam, and we'll hear from Brent Venables. Of course, we will delve into the whole Jeff Levy situation, and I will give you my five favorite Bedlam games of all time. Doesn't necessarily mean best. They're just the five, my five favorite Bedlam games of all time. And uh, if you are so inclined, hit me up on Sports Radio APD and give me your five favorite Bedlam games of all time. Yeah, favorite five, five favorite, something like that. Anyway, before we get to the meat of our content, do me a huge favor, big favor here. Uh, give us a five-star rating and write a written review. Um, if you give us that five-star rating, it helps us elevate our content out to as many listeners as possible. And the written review helps us focus our content and give you more of what you want. And if you do both those things and take a screenshot, then send it to Pete Mundo at heartlandcollegesports.com. Pete's going to give you a Heartland College Sports koozie. Think about this for a second. Just let this sink in. Last Bedlam game for at least 10 years. Now, why am I saying it's at least 10 years? Well, if you read the story in the Oklahoma today, or actually it wasn't today, it was a couple of days ago, Chad Weiberg, athletic director at Oklahoma State, and Joe Castiglione, who's the athletic director at OU, both were on record saying that they talked about it. Both of them feel like the two teams will eventually play again, but Because college schedules are done so far in advance, it's going to be at least, at least 10 years before these two play. And the Big 12 just released, the Big 12 just released their schedule for like the next, you know, seven years. And Oklahoma State only gets to play three non-conference games. Now, OU4 at the moment, because the SEC has decided to play eight conference games versus nine conference games, although I think it's going to go up to nine once ESPN decides to put a little bit more money in the SEC kitty. And then Greg Sankey and everybody else at the, you know, the powers that be at the SEC will figure out a way to have a nine-game conference schedule uh, despite despite the objections of one Nick Saban, who who wants to keep it at eight because he doesn't want to play Tennessee, LSU, and Auburn all in the same year. And, hey, I can't say that I blame him. You're getting the raw end of that deal. The other thing is, is I don't think, what I don't think Castiglione and Weiberg are telling you is that neither one of them or the athletic directors that come after them, and more likely Castiglione is, you know, Castiglione is, or I should say, Castiglione is more close, is closer to retirement than what Chad Weiberg is. But I don't think either one of these athletic directors or the ones that come after them are going to look anytime soon to put each other on the schedule. One, for Oklahoma State, you've only won this thing 19 times. OU's won it 91. And even though Les Miles like to stick his chest out and show a lot of bravado about how we're not going to talk about the school from down south, the fact of the matter is, is that every 
coach who has ever been at Oklahoma State has got their asses kicked by OU. And that's not going to change. It's not going to change when OU goes to the SEC and Oklahoma State has a better shot of competing for national championships, or I should say conference championships. They'll have a better shot of competing for conference championships. That's not going to change. Okay, it's just because you're better, you're, you're, you're in a weaker conference and you're winning that conference doesn't mean that you're going to be able to beat OU on a regular basis. And I, for one, and I know I'm in the minority, and I think, a lot, first of all, I think a lot of people are feeling nostalgic about this week because it is the last one and it's starting to set in. I mean, when it was, when it was back in the summer or two years ago when it was announced Oklahoma's leaving for the SEC, it was so far off in the distance that you were thinking, yeah, okay, I know it's the last bedlam, but now it's here. Everybody starts reminiscing. Everybody starts feeling a little bit more nostalgic. You start to think about the ice bowl. You're thinking about the 88 game if you're Guinevere of certain vintage. Um, if you're an Oklahoma State fan, you're, you're going to YouTube and pulling up highlights of the 2001 and the 2002 games. You're re-watching Tyreek Hill's a punt return when Bob decided to repunt. That's what you're doing this week. You know, I'm recalling the 84 game. I'm recalling 2012 and 2013, which, you know, I, I will rank my five favorite Bedlam games here at the end of the show. Yeah, sure, we're feeling nostalgic, but the truth of the matter is it's better for these two not to play each other. Okay, it's better for OSU because Mike Gundy then won't have to hear it from his fans that he can't beat OU and OU can move on. And this, I, and I'm speaking, you know, perfect, you know, personally here. Okay. And I know that you may not have the same feeling on this. But for me, the Bedlam game has always come with anxiety since 2012. Since o, OSU ended that 19 game losing streak and it, you know, hit like a ton of bricks, you know, standing in the end zone at, at Owen Field screaming for Howard Schnellenberger to be fired. It hit me. It's like, wow, OSU can win this game because they hadn't beaten OU in 19 years up to that point. 19. So now there's a level of anxiety because if OU wins it, guess what? They're expected to. And every OSU fan is going to wonder why you're bragging if you win this game. So you're not really allowed to celebrate if you're an OU fan, but you lose. Well, now somebody's got to pay the ultimate price for it. And who knows, it, it might be Jeff Levy. If OU goes out and lays an egg, maybe you see Brent Venables or Joe Castiglione make the moves that Iowa and Arkansas have made over the last couple of couple of weeks by firing Brian Ferentz and Dan Enos. Now, I'm not wishing that on Jeff Levy. And when I originally watched the Kansas game, because I'm a guy that thinks players not plays, I normally do not blame it on the play caller. Okay, but going back and watching it, yeah, there were certainly some questionable plays. Not smart to have Jaleel Farouk run between the tackles. Even though I'm a big fan of him being Debo Samuel Light, it's not the wisest idea to have him run between the tackles. And he did. And guess what? He fumbled the ball. I mean, you could put that on Farouk, which I did at first, but in retrospect, yeah, you should probably put that on the coach for putting him in that bad in that situation or that bad of a situation. That being said, yeah, Jeff Levy is the offensive coordinator, but Brent Venables is the head coach. And what separates me from a lot of media in Oklahoma and even from a lot of Oklahoma fans is that I don't just blame the coordinator when things go bad. I didn't just pin 
OU's bad defense on Alex Grinch or Mike Stoops. It was Lincoln Riley's fault. You're the head coach. This guy is your defensive coordinator. If you want something different done, well, then you have the power to change it. And if you, Brent Venables, want Jeff Levy to take out the RPOs like he admitted that he needed to do on one particular play, that he needed to take the pass option out so Dylan Gabriel wouldn't think pass and throw throw a pick six, then you need to tell him that. You need to convey that. You are not in any way, shape, or form scot-free at all this. You're just as, you're just as much as to blame as he is because you're the one running the program. So I chalked that Kansas loss up to both those guys, not just Levy, but, but Venables as well. And let's face it, the OU uh, defense wasn't all that great either. Still, I think what made Jeff Levy look really bad this week, really bad, is when you admit that you wish that you would have had certain plays back or done things differently, that does bring, that does bring the confidence level down in the fan base. It brings it down in the athletic department. It brings it down to your players, and it brings it down to your staff. It just sends a bad message. It it makes you cringe, honestly, when you read that. And as much as you and I want coaches to say certain things after after losses when we're in an emotional state, they just can't. They've got to stand their ground. They've got to be vague at least. You can – they – they can never show that they do not know what they're doing or you end up like Nathaniel Hackett at Denver who admitted, hey, I can't manage a clock, so I'm bringing someone in. Well, why the hell we hire you as a, as a head coach if you don't know what you're doing? If you don't know what you're doing, get the hell out of here. And that was kind of how I was feeling about Jeff Levy. It's like, dude, I've been here defending you. Don't tell everyone that you don't know what you're doing because then I can't defend you anymore. And as Brent Finnable says, criticism, that's just part of the territory in Oklahoma. When you're at a place like Oklahoma on this stage, there's scrutiny that comes with it, uh, with that title, with that, with that job, and uh, even the players. You know, I, I hate it. You know, the players there, you know, their body work is always under a microscope. But that's, no, that's the way it is in all sports, every level. Uh, and so uh, I don't have to counsel him. Uh, he's a... Uh, uh, he's a grown man, but uh, we're all close, and, and I'm constantly trying to nurture mindset too. You know, because I'm fully aware of everything, both the good and the bad. And when you're you're doing really well, successfully, I try to keep everybody focused on the right things. That's my, you know, job. You know, as a leader, uh, too. Let's let's focus on the controllables always, and focus on our players and our locker room, and again, what we got to do to get better. He's telling Jeff Levy to put his big boy pants on. Don't worry about the mean things that people say to you and just get your offense ready to take on an Oklahoma State who defensively gives up just as many points as you did. And look, as I said, Brent Venable's not off the hook, not just because he's the head coach, but you're also the defensive coordinator. And you allowed Kansas to rush for 225 yards and you gave up 38 points. Plus, you were really susceptible to the big play. Which, again, you talk about confidence levels. This this adds to why this is only a six-point spread for for OU this week. A game that three weeks ago we thought OU would have no problem with, but it's now starting to feel like 2021 where OU was on a backslide and OSU had gotten things figured out. And we all know, unfortunately, how that game turned out for OU. And you have got to avoid this at all costs. One thing I don't think OU was going to be able to do is shut down Ollie Gordon. And I'm not saying that to be negative, 
But if Danny Stutzman's out, that's a big loss. And it's not that I don't have confidence in Kip Lewis, but Ollie Gordon right now is the best running back in the country. This guy's run for 270 yards in back-to-back weeks. And he's starting to get himself into the All-American talk and possibly the Heisman talk. So you have to figure out a way to shut him down. Not only that, there are playmakers, and you've been giving up big plays. Alan Bowman is settled in at quarterback. Brendan Presley's still there. So all of a sudden, this is so far from a gimme that it, it, it makes you kind of wonder what happened. What happened over the last few weeks? And I don't know if it's just that OU wasn't the team that we thought they were or if they're still suffering from the te- Texas hangover that, that Brentables, Brent Venable says they're not. But either way, you got to figure out how to hold Ollie Gordon under to at least, I, w- I would say you got to hold him to under 230 yards if you want any chance to win this game. Here's Brent Venables talking about Oklahoma State's running back. They're getting a lot of one-on-one coverage because of, you know, uh, the necessity to try to stop, uh, you know, Gordon. And everybody's had the whole team down there and hadn't had a whole lot of luck. And, uh, again, hence, you know, leading the country uh, in rushing. So uh, they've played against, you know, people that are, that are putting all the bodies there, you know, to, to stop them. So great challenge. Uh, I don't necessarily, quote unquote, have the answers. You you got to play well. That's kind of the uh, the basic premise. And then you got to play physical, play with really good technique. Uh, Tackling is going to be at a premium. We put on a clinic on how not to tackle, particularly in the first half last week. I say that that's a reflection of, of me. Uh, my name's all over that. That's not on uh, the players. Uh, they do have a responsibility, but it starts with me and uh, really disappointed in how we, we tackled last week. And if uh, we don't tackle better than we did last week, uh, uh, Gordon's going to pull away from the pack uh, when it comes to, to college football and rushing. Expect this to be a high-scoring game on, on Saturday. Really do, because Oklahoma State's defense isn't going to stop OU, okay? That, uh, look, if, if there's if there's one thing that I am confident about, even if Tywee Walker can't play, even if Marcus Major can't go, even if you have to have Farouk at running back again and Dylan Gabriel's got to pass all day, I don't see Oklahoma State being able to keep OU out of the end zone enough to it not coming down to the last few minutes of this game. Like, I, I think this this game is going to be an awful lot like the Kansas game, where even if there is a double-digit lead with five minutes left to go in the fourth quarter, you're not going to feel it safe, no, ma- no matter which side, which, no matter which side you're on. So just in case you're an OSU fan listening to this, Go ahead, bring some Maalox, bring some liquor, bite your fingernails, because this one's going to be tight this week. I know OU's a six-point favorite. I, I'm i going to pick OU to win. I think Dylan Gabriel will throw for well over 200 yards in this game, might even throw for 300. Nick Anderson's going to have a couple of touchdowns. If Tywee Walker's healthy, he's going to be able to keep OU's, o- OSU's offense off the field and just – Honestly, even with the injuries, OU is a better team. They're just a better team than Oklahoma State. And I, unlike a lot of people, going to be glad when, when this game's over. I mean, 10 years, I mean, the fact that Bedlam is ending, I'm going to be glad that it's, <laughs> that it's over, again, because of the anxiety levels. And two, I'm just interested to see what all it looks like. I'm just interested to see what it looks like next year. You know, when, when OU's playing South Carolina and, and Oklahoma State's getting ready to play Brigham Young or, or whoever, in November, what it's like for Oklahoma State to not have that game. But OU is always going to have Texas 
and OU's going to have enough of the SEC people to deal with that, yeah, you you don't want you, – you don't really want or need to schedule Oklahoma State. Now, I might be in the minority on this, and I know one guy that disagrees with me is uh, my friend Tony Casillas, Lombardi Award winner out at OU, and here's what he said about why he's going to miss Bedlam. Well, I think, I think there's a couple of things, Eric, that uh... – then when you look at this game, I think, and, and I think that Coach Gundy is really missing a point on this. You know, although you look at his record as a player, six twenty-five and one has not has not been that well. And kind of like uh, Coach Jones alluded to, he's not going to miss playing Oklahoma. But you know, I think for a player, and and I really disagree when he talks about social media, you know, being the demise of it. I think that if you're a player, and especially a fan. I think if you live in Oklahoma, you're from Oklahoma, and you grow up and you, you know about the, the, the game, and, you know, certainly the record has been somewhat, I would say, lopsided, but there's been some, clay, some, some, some close games. I remember, you know, Barry Sanders in 1988 where he rushed for 251 yards is 31-28, so there's been some close games, but, you know, I think that that's, you know, for me as a guy that's played in a game like that, I think there was just kind of this built-in rivalry within the state. Uh, we really didn't look at the record, and we looked at you know who we're playing. But I think for maybe my side of it as a player and as a fan, it was always an indication we had to play Oklahoma State to get where we wanted to go. And obviously, uh, that was to play. You know, in, in my you know my era was Big Eight, and you know now Big Twelve. But that game in, in thanks in you know, the week of Thanksgiving just met is very symbolic because you had to go through that to get to what you wanted to do ultimately, and that was play in Orangeboro and play for the national championship. Yeah, but here's the thing: as a kid that grew up in in, in the '70s and the '80s and watched Tony Casillas play, let's not forget Nebraska was the big rivalry. Nebraska was the huge in conference rivalry. It wasn't Oklahoma State. 1984 was a huge game. Because both teams were highly ranked, and whoever won went to the Orange Bowl and was going to have a chance to play for the national championship. And that was the first time Oklahoma State was really in that position. And the next time Oklahoma State had to play for a national or had the opportunity to play for a national championship, OU was going through a, a, a mediocre season. So 84 was an important game. And there have been some after that, but Nebraska was Nebraska was always a much more it was a much more magical rivalry, much more intense or respectful rivalry compared to what Oklahoma State um, was. And look, I'm with Mike Gundy. I think not playing it is good. Tony disagrees with me on that. And uh, Mike Gundy earlier this week talked about <laughs> him and Brian Bosworth spitting in each other's face, which I can just say, all right, gross. But I guess Bill Romanowski would approve of that. Uh, and and here's what here's what um, here's what Tony thinks would have would have happened. Here, look, if if Brian Bosworth and Mike Gundy were to fight, here's what Tony Casillas thinks would have happened. I mean, it seems to me he may be just I don't know, not old school, but just a little. And I don't know him personally. I just read and mm-hmm. you know I read this stuff about you know uh, you know him spitting in Bosworth's face and Bosworth spitting say. First of all, Bosworth would have kicked his ass. I mean, I, I don't believe that. Uh, that would. Well, oh, I remember. I remember Tony. I remember when it happened. Oh yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> I was hoping Bosworth didn't smash him. Yeah, right. I have to admit, I was a little nervous when Tony started telling that story. Is I, I said that to Pat. He's like, man, because I know Pat loves Mike, and 
Dave Wanstead recruited Tony Casillas when Pat was at Oklahoma State, and Tony respects Coach Jones. So I was like, I was worried that it might be a little intense there, but both these guys uh, kept it really respectful. And look, both these guys were in not just one, but a couple of memorable Bedlam games or involved in a couple of memorable Bedlam games. And here's what Tony says his favorite memory will always be from his time at OU and playing Oklahoma State. I mean, we played, uh, and and Coach Jones remember this, when we played in the freaking Ice Bowl, that was just crazy. You know, I don't think anybody (laughs) wanted to coach or play in that damn game. I mean, that was just ridiculous. Uh, I just, I I couldn't imagine that anyone would play in those type of conditions today. There's no way. They would, you know, if they couldn't have any equipment to clear the field, they would just cancel the game or just delay it to another week. But we went out there and played, and and all I know is that uh, is that for some reason I don't know if it was in the it was in the in the locker room. They didn't have any showers, or they didn't have any heat in some part of the you know it, it uh, in a locker room. But it was just colder, and you know what? And Tony's story is a perfect transition into my five favorite bedlam games of all time. I said favorite. Favorite, not necessarily best, but favorite. Number five, 1985, the Ice Bowl, as Tony mentioned. Uh, if Thurman Thomas can run for 100 yards on the OU defense and do it in ice, mad respect. OU still won that game. Sooners go on to win the national championship. 2021, this is one of those games I will never forget it as long as I live, mainly because Colin Oliver made the winning sack for Oklahoma State, which, by the way, Colin Oliver and Brennan Presley are my two players to watch in this game. Colin Oliver, Brennan Presley, because we know Presley's got big play capability. And Oliver, again, a guy that got the sack on Caleb Williams in 2021. I was very happy for him, despite you know him, him going to Oklahoma State. I've known his family for a while. And that one will always be memorable because remember you'll remember Lincoln Riley. After the game, saying he's not going to be the next head coach at LSU, and then he leaves for USC just a few hours after that. 2013, OU was an underdog going into Stillwater. Miserable weather day. Sooners had to play three quarterbacks. Blake Bell got the winning touchdown pass. Oklahoma State turns it over on their last possession. Sooners add to it. And then one of the cheerleaders tried to trip one of the OU players. I think it was Eric Stryker. I think they tried to strip Eric, trip Eric Stryker. I can't remember which one. If you remember the OU player they tried to trip, uh, hit me up at Sports Radio APD. 84 at 2 because OU and OSU were highly ranked. Winner goes to the Orange Bowl to play Washington. Turned out to be Oklahoma. And number one, 2012, because that was the Brennan Clay touchdown game in overtime. OU trailed by, I think, like 17 in that game. But... My whole family was in the stands. The first game that we had went to as a family with all of us in tow, and we watched Brennan Clay score that score that game-winning touchdown. Very exciting, very fun moment. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hope you enjoyed hearing Tony Casillas. I uh, just want to say may God bless you and your family. We'll be back next week. As the great Jackie Moon always says, everybody love everybody. And to paraphrase Don Cornelius, love, peace, and boomer freaking sooner.